the field of human conflict, but so much owed by so many to so few. another episode of Radio UF. My name is Laura de Alba. I am here in the studio with Sherston Sigtarsson and Elisabeth Shadian. And uh, we are going to be uh, speaking about a very exciting subject, uh, Nagorno-Karabakh, um, an unfrozen conflict. And uh, to talk about this, we met with two experts, uh, Maria Persson-Lovgren, SVT's correspondent in, among other countries, Armenia, Azerbaijan and Russia, and also with Rasmus Kampmek, an independent Swedish journalist that uh, has been on the in person in Nagorno-Karabakh uh, in several locations. And last but not least, we also have Elizabeth Shadian in the studio with us. She is a French-Armenian political science student at Sciences Po doing her exchange semester or year, right? Uh, here in Uppsala, and she's going to tell us, uh, give us a brief introduction of the conflict. Thank you very much, Laura. So as you mentioned, we are going to talk about the conflict that's going on in Nagorno-Karabakh today. And before we get deep in the subject, uh, we're going to explain where it comes from. So actually, it came from uh, 1921 uh, at Stalin's initiative. Uh, Nagorno-Karabakh, although populated by 94% of Armenians, was attached to the Soviet, Soviet Socialist Republic of Azerbaijan of which it became an autonomous region called an oblast. Stalin would have wanted to make Azerbaijan a model to attract Turkey and Muslim countries to the communist camp in the spirit of the Baku Congress, whose aim was to extend the revolution to the peoples of the East. So since this annexation, we have witnessed a never-ending conflict between the Azeris, who claim that these territories officially belong to them, and the Armenians who will not give up their ancestral lands. So that was a short introduction of the subject, sub, subject by Elizabeth. And now we will listen to a song, uh, an Armenian song. So could you tell us what we're going to listen to? Yes, absolutely. So it's a song called Sareri Hovin Mernem uh, by uh, the Arags group. Uh, Sareri Hovin Mernem means I am dying for the wind of mountains. Uh, and while the original version of this song was made by Komitas, um, Arags is the group of music that made this uh, version in their album called La Brise. You're listening to Student Radio 98.9. We are Radio UF. So welcome back to the episode where we will be talking about the conflict in Nagorno-Karabakh. And we have been interviewing both Marila Persson-Lavgren and Rasmus Kambek for this episode. 
and I actually interviewed Rasmus Kahnbeck, who is a Swedish journalist who specializes in the conflict. And he last visited Nagorno-Karabakh in 2021. And that was probably the last uh, foreign journalist to ever enter the region. Uh, so now we will listen to Rasmus Kahnbeck and he will give us a brief background uh, on the subject. The, the conflict, when I start... Uh, when, when I start to explain the conflict, I usually start with the uh, Armenian genocide, uh, what happened in the Ottoman Empire in the 1915, and the and the Armenians they were uh, expelled from the Ottoman Empire or killed, um, of course, and quite many of them they um, uh, they they went to Europe or they went to uh, um, to to the Middle East and parts of the Russian Empire, which is uh, which was the Armenia back then. Um, and Nagorno-Karabakh was at this time officially a part of uh, Azerbaijan, uh, but it was inhabited by uh, Armenians predominantly, like 95%. And uh, with the fall of the Russian Empire, we could see that uh, both Armenia and Azerbaijan, they, um, they had the independence movement and they, both of them, uh, they had territorial claims on Nagorno-Karabakh. Uh, and this is the start, the modern start of the conflict, uh, let's say. Uh, at this at this point, it was solved with the uh, Russian Red Army or the Soviet Red Army coming back to the region, and they uh, and they took back Armenia or they occupied Armenia and Azerbaijan, and Nagorno-Karabakh became um, permanently a part of Azerbaijan um, of different reasons. 80 years later, uh, 80 years later, 90 years later, with the with the fall of the Soviet Union, we still had a conflict ongoing, and the and the region was still predominantly inhabited by Armenians. But they had an, the independence movement, and they didn't want to be a part of Azerbaijan. So why did I say that it was to start with the Armenian genocide? Because it's the um, um, the Armenians they believe that the uh, Assyrians they are closely uh, affiliated and connected to uh, to Turkey. Uh, and uh, we could see that in the beginning of the 1990s, there was in end of the 1980s, there were programs against Armenians, and this um, this was the um, the start of the very modern conflict. Mm. So basically, today we can see that okay, so the the um, the modern conflict is um, is uh, about two international humanitarian laws principles that are meant to work together but politically they're working against each other and one is the uh, the territorial integrity of Azerbaijan and the other one is the self uh, the um, the uh, right for self-determination for the Armenians in Nagorno-Karabakh. So that was Rasmus Kambek. Uh, we are going to be hearing extracts of an interview with him throughout the whole program as well as with the interview with Maria Pershomovkan. And uh, I would like to highlight something that he said regarding uh, the two international principles working against each other, uh, the territorial integrity and the self-determination. And that is very important because it's going to be the red thread throughout uh, the first episode. It's one of Two epi- uh, one of two episodes that we're going to have. Elizabeth is going to be joining us on uh, both of them. And after this segment, we're going to have a little discussion uh, and uh, talk a little bit more about the details and the concepts that might be a little bit foreign for you. But uh, yes, we are listening to Radio F and uh, he- we're going to listen to a song named 
A Cool Wind is Blowing by Jivan Gasparian, uh, who is a famous Armenian musician and composer uh, who is known for being the master of the duduk, a traditional Armenian instrument that I'll let you discover through this song. So welcome back to Student Radion uh, and Radio UF, where we are talking about the conflict in Nagorno-Karabakh. And we have been hearing just before this uh, uh, beautiful song, Rasmus Kambeck's explanation of the history of the conflict. And right now we will move on to more recent events. So Elisabeth, can you tell me a bit more about the history? Yes, of course. So um, to do so, we need to get back to the summer of 1987. Uh, when violent demonstrations took place in favor of joining the Republic of Armenia. A year later, um, on 20th of February, Nagorno-Karabakh auto-proclaimed itself um, as the Republic of Artsakh. A few years later, after the collapse of the USSR, a war occurred between Armenia and Azerbaijan from 1991 to 1994 resulting in the deaths of 30,000 to 40,000 people, according to the UNHCR, and causing a humanitarian catastrophe with the displacement of 350,000 Armenians. Despite all this, uh, the war ended with an Armenian victory, uh, restoring a certain tranquility for the Armenian population of Nagorno-Karabakh. So while incidents regularly revive tensions between the two entities, in April 2016, fighting resumed during the four-day war, at the end of which the Armenian government announced it had lost several hundred hectares. In 2020, there was yet another uprising in the conflict. Uh, now we will hear Maria Persian Lovesgren comment on what led to the escalation of this conflict in 2033. After... Russia decided to um, invade uh, Ukraine. The situation has changed dramatically because there has been basically very little international interest in what's happening there. And uh, according to the Armenians from there that I talked to when I was in Armenia recently, uh, they were sort of left behind and they had the feeling that the so-called peacekeepers from Russia didn't care much about what's happening to them and that there was sort of a secret deal made between Russia, Azerbaijan and Turkey to uh, give back the area to Azerbaijan. So that was Maria Persson Lövgren on the recent events in Nagorno-Karabakh. Uh, Elisabeth, would you like to add something Yes, of course. So um, as I mentioned before, the uprising um, resumed in September 2020 uh, when the capital Stepanakert was bombed by the Azerbaijani army for the first time. Uh, the Azeri government announces the conquest of a dozen villages uh, while many civilians evacuate the region. Uh, the exile of the population of Nagorno-Karabakh resumed and the humanitarian situation deteriorated. A ceasefire is finally signed in November under the mediation of Russia. Unfortunately, 
the conflict resumed in December 2022 with the blockade of the Lachin Corridor by the Azeris, uh, which is the only supply route for Armenia to from Armenia to Nagorno-Karabakh. Um, all imports of food uh, and medicine were prohibited. So this episode really prepares Armenians to either stay and die or leave and never come back. Finally, Azerbaijan's military offensive launched on September 19th, 2023, uh, resulted in the exodus of the entire population, representing 120,000 people. Um, so, uh, Samvel Shakramanyan uh, decree announces the dissolution of uh, the Republic of Artsakh in January 1st, 2024. You are listening to Radio UF, and that was Elegy by Arno Babajanyan, one of my favorite Armenian musicians. He was a Soviet and Armenian composer and pianist, uh, and much of his music is rooted in Armenian folk music and folklore, which he generally uses in the virtuosic style of Rashmaninov and Khachaturian, and this piece was actually in commemoration of Khachaturian, another great Armenian artist. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for showing us this beautiful song. And in this Prata, we're going to discuss about the conflict in a bit of a wider perspective, uh, because, of course, it's not, uh, you know, it's international affairs. So there's a lot of actors involved. Uh, there is Russia, uh, there is Turkey. Um, and uh, we asked uh, the bo- both of the experts that we were going to, that we uh, introduced, what their thoughts on it was. And here's what they said. Uh, at the same time, we criticize that uh, Russia, for instance, is uh, now more or less a dictatorship. You could say that uh, definitely also about Azerbaijan, but the Western countries has been very cautious in criticizing because they have a lot of uh, uh, economical deals. And when they stop using gas and oil from Russia, they sort of instead uh, were putting emphasis on getting it from Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan is uh, definitely not a democracy, it hasn't been for a long time. It's uh, a family-steered uh, country where you have uh, very little movement for opposition. There is basically no opposition. There is no freedom of speech, no freedom of no right, human rights, basically. And uh, compared to Armenia, it's a big difference because Armenia had a revolution uh not long ago it's almost well almost five years ago when Pashinyan the current prime minister was part of a street protest which led to a change in uh, the government in Armenia and Armenia has a much more pluralized society with those uh, rights that don't exist in Azerbaijan So Maria Persson mentioned the role of Russia in this conflict, but there is another important actor on the Azeri side, which is Turkey. So in the months leading up to the conflict, Turkey contributed a lot to the preparation and transformation of the Azerbaijani army. According to numerous sources, including the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, Turkey has also deployed Syrian mercenaries in support of Azerbaijani forces, Uh, hired for a salary of $2,000 a month. Uh, They are said to have taken part in the deadliest fighting. Uh, So what's 
um, the aim of Turkey intervening in this conflict. By supporting Azerbaijan, um, Turkey can extend its political influence and economic presence in the Caucasus, which is a key region linking the Caspian Sea to the Black Sea, where Russia and Iran also have its aspirations. Uh, President Erdogan is seizing every opportunity to make his voice heard on the international stage and to satisfy a conservative nationalist um, electorate while at the same time masking his country's economic difficulties. In this context, we could also talk about pan-Turkism because by regaining Nagorno-Karabakh, Azerbaijan then wants to attack southern Armenia uh, territory with the aim of joining its territory to Turkey. In fact, Azerbaijan is already cultivating this project with the Zangezur Corridor. And you are listening to Student Radio 98.9. And now we will listen to the song uh, Fantasy Call on Me by, uh, maybe you can say the name of the song. <laughs> by Arno Babajanyan again. Uh, once again, a really talented Armenian musician. We listen to <laughs> You're listening to Radio UF at Student Radio 98.9. And we're talking about the conflict in Nagorno-Karabakh. Uh, and we have been discussing the dynamics and effects that the conflict has had on the region. And now we will move on to more international consequences. And as you might know, the EU has strengthened its ties with Azerbaijan during the recent years uh, by, establish- by establishing uh, connections for buying gas through them. them. And this has also been pointed as out as a possible way of uh, like uh, getting around the sanctions that have been imposed on Russia since the annexation of Crimea. And we talked to Rasmus Kambek about this matter and also Maria Persson-Lövgren. Firstly, we will hear Maria Persson-Lövgren's answer. As I understand, it's not such a big uh, part of the total import that comes from there. So it could be that it's possible to... But the problem is more that uh, many Western um, uh, energy companies has been investing in infrastructure and helped build the current situation there. So now I see that uh, there is some talks to try to uh, get uh, deals instead with Kazakhstan. And uh, this this could be an alternative uh, route to take <laughs> one more point is that uh, we're often also talking about the avoidance of sanctions yeah from uh, from uh, the eu the eu has sanctions on russia mm. and uh, and russia is using armenia azerbaijan georgia central asian countries to avoid the sanctions yeah but uh, but we're not talking that much about the other way around. So how is the EU avoiding their own sanctions by going through Azerbaijan? Yeah, of course. And in this in this case, it's about gas and oil. Yeah. So uh, uh, so a lot of the um, uh, some of their gas that comes from Azerbaijan is actually Russian gas. It's a very uh, it's an important project for the EU. So yeah. in 2014, going back to that shift again. So yeah. after the invasion of uh, uh, of Ukraine in 2014 and yeah. the annex- annexation of Crimea, yeah. the um, the EU uh, um, started to invest in the pipelines to Azerbaijan. So it became a very big project for the EU. Mm. Uh, 
So this is super interesting, I think, uh, because uh, as we know, money moves the world and resources move the world. But I think that we have, uh, all of us who live in Europe have experienced like a rise on electricity prices and stuff like that. And I think this, of course, inscribes itself itself into it. Um, that, uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of companies that invest in this extraction of these minerals and that sometimes we're not strict enough regarding to human rights situations that can be originated by that. Uh, what do you think, Elizabeth? Exactly. Um, I feel like um, the EU tries to not be complicit with the war in Ukraine by turning to Azerbaijan, by making a gas deal with them. But the problem is that they're giving credit to Azerbaijan, who is doing the same with Armenia that Russia did to Ukraine. So it really questions, like, is the uh, European Union selling the interests of democracy uh, to energy interests? Um, is economic interest and international trade more important than helping Armenian the Armenian population? I think it's a it's a huge asymmetry we see here um, by uh, favorizing uh, Azerbaijan, and also the pipelines are coming from Russia at the end. So, and I also think it's in- interesting because of Azerbaijan's uh, democratic index that is really low. Yeah, exactly. We heard it from Maria that uh, in practice Azerbaijan isn't really a democracy right now. Big questions we end this prata in, uh, but right now we're going to listen to a beautiful uh, song again by Arno Babadjanan. Babadjanian, I'm sorry, Elizabeth. <laughs> uh, you're listening to Radio UF. Uh, stick with us, and we'll see you after the break. Welcome back to Radio UF. Uh, in the last Prata, we talked about the economic uh, interests between the EU and the conflict in Nagorno-Karabakh. And in this one, we would like to give you a little bit more of context. And uh, Rasmus had a very interesting take uh, on this uh, co- in, on this uh, dynamics, and we'll let you hear it. We can see that the, um, the Russia... Uh, I usually talk about... After 2020 and the Russian peacekeeping uh, troops came to Nagorno-Karabakh, this is the peak Russian imperialism in modern time. Yeah, This is where, you know, it really peaked that they understood, okay, we can take all this without the international community reacting to it. Interesting. Uh, so it started much. in 2014 with the shift and then... Yeah, and then in 2020, because the Russian troops, they didn't have any um, Russian... Uh, uh, the uh, Russian presence in Azerbaijan before that. So, oh, yeah. uh, and and in uh, by having the troops in the South Caucasus, mm-hmm. then they um, they could control it from a security perspective. Uh, in 2022, with um, invading Ukraine, yeah. um, it changed the shift in the Southern Caucasus. I mean, because uh, I mean Armenia couldn't mm, Armenia, which has a Western a western friendly government yeah. understood that we can't stand by the side of russia hmm. uh, so they've been uh, trying to uh, to go away from russia they don't want to be on the bad side no, let's say I see. and and uh, azerbaijan on this azerbaijan they don't care no. um uh, which side they are are on as long as you know they're making money and all this and having power and so on yeah um but 
with the eyes on Ukraine, um, Russia didn't have that much neither soft power or hard power to actually put on on the southern Caucasus. They didn't have the ability to keep it up, mm. yeah, despite you know that they tried to have this. So this is another example of how uh, power balances in regions are connected. But I think that I would like to circle back to the international law concept that we mentioned was going to be a uh, red threat throughout this episode, and that is the right to self-determination versus the right of territorial um, integrity. And uh, I think we it would be really interesting to hear more about how these texts are formed, what the law says, who's the one behind it. And uh, yeah, Elizabeth, you can tell us. Yes. So to be really quick, uh, the UN Charter says that the concept of self-determination is defined as the right of people to choose their own sovereignty and international status without external interference. Uh, this involves the right to choose the form of government and political structure that best suits them, while the principle of territorial integrity evokes the inalienable right and duty of a sovereign state to preserve its border from uh, any external influence. So in our case, the question here is to find the balance between the legality of Azeri territorial integrity claims over uh, Nagorno-Karabakh and Armenian historical claims which could legitimize the desired self-determination. But what Azerbaijan is uh, doing really wrong in this conflict is justifying their human rights violations against Armenians, the ethnic cleansing they're carrying by territorial integrity reasons. Just a clarification, uh, Elizabeth, what do you mean exactly by ethnic cleansing for listeners who might not be super familiar with what it means? Well, basically, ethnic uh, cleansing could be defined as the um, um, as to get rid. Uh, sorry for my cruel words, but to get rid of a culture. And in this case, Azerbaijan really wants to get rid of the Armenians in this uh, Caucasus region. We heard from Maria and from Rasmus that there wasn't a single Armenian uh, left there. So uh, yes. I guess that in less than a few weeks, they it, it actually happened. And we also heard examples of cemeteries being destroyed and churches being destroyed. Uh, and that's also horrible, uh, horrible information. Yeah, to the people and their, the memories of their family, their, whole, their cultural their history. Yes, uh, Elizabeth, which uh, beautiful song are we going to listen to now? Uh, now we're going to listen to the Song of the Old Days by Tigran Mansourian. Uh, the Song of the Old Days is actually an Armenian movie uh, directed and written by Albert Mkrtian. And Tigran Mansourian was in charge of the music in this movie. You're listening to Radio UF and we are discussing an unfrozen conflict, Nagorno-Karabakh. And... Um, in the last part that we were speaking about these two concepts of international law uh, that are working against each other. And uh, I think this is also, if we link back to all the history that we have mentioned uh, in the earlier sections, uh, this is uh, also a clear example of what happens when after conflicts or after the fall of an empire, in this case the URSS, uh, people just say like, okay, we're gonna. This is resources. We are deciding in like offices really far away from where people actually live, and we're gonna like draw the borders on the map uh, without taking any consideration of what people feel or experience or want. Um, which is uh, also 
I mean, I, I think that's the core of the problem because before this, people have always kind of coexisted. Uh, yes, conflictuously, but it's uh, it just added layers of uh, complexity. Yes. Exactly, Laura. I feel like it's really far-fetched to think that in 1921, Stalin, who has nothing to do with Armenians or Azeris, uh, just decided to give this territory to Azeris. And it all created this conflict that's been going on for years and years now. Exactly. And then also uh, during our interview with uh, Rasmus, he mentioned, uh, well, we asked him why do journalists write so little about this conflict? And his answer was that, uh, Shastin, what was his answer? Yeah, they don't get to go to Nagorno-Karabakh. So it was really hard for him to get in. He actually had to <laughs> tell another story of what he was reporting about. And of course, that makes it very hard for journalists to football. report. Which was football. Yeah, he said that he was going to write about football and uh, they let him in. So that's why he could, like, yeah write about this conflict and I also think it's uh, interesting to talk about uh, Russia in this context uh, with them being like occupied with the war in Ukraine it's of course not able not possible for them to put resources into the conflict conflict but also I think we need to consider that the Armenian government currently is very west friendly and that could also contribute in the very like weak response from Russia and the peacekeepers just standing by and watching everything happen. And just a bit more uh, background into these peacekeepers. Um, Rasmus mentioned as well that in, the, in Russian the word peacekeeping doesn't exist. It's uh, peacemaking. Like the, yeah. it's, it's an active word, which is very interesting. Like uh, the, the Up to now they had a very uh, active role in uh, controlling the groups and populations and having a, like a military role to a certain point. Uh, but then like now they just decided uh, to actively help the Azerbaijani side in some situations and some the other the opposite. Um, so yeah, this is this is also a big factor to take into account. And Elizabeth, how do you how does the like uh, international law say something about how you should prioritize the different uh, like parts of the law? Yes, actually, uh, the UN, uh, the ICJ, and international law experts say that there is actually no contradiction between uh, these principles of self-determination and territorial integrity because the territorial integrity takes uh, precedence. Uh, territorial integrity prevails over self-determination, says the Helsinki Final Act of 1975. So in this case, Azerbaijan should be able to claim its territorial integrity because they have like the signature who says that it's officially Azerbaijan's, but the human rights they're committing against the Armenian population is just showing that they cannot uh, take these lands like this. Yeah. You're listening to Radio UF at Student Radio 98.5. We're back in the studio. You're listening to Radio UF and we have reached the end of our program on Anam Fronson conflict. What's happening in Nagorno-Karabakh 
um, and we discussed very interesting topics going from international politics, the uh, ethics of extraction of resources and also a recapitulation of the historical background. Um, there was so much research going into the making of this program. It was like our big, uh, our big project of the semester. So, and we also spoke both with Maria and with Rasmus for almost an hour. So we thought that we should uh, use this material, give you access to our uh, material as well. So we're going to release a longer version of this episode, a longer version of uh, the interviews so that you can listen to it and get, gain more knowledge about this very, very important situation. And uh, you're going to also listen to part two next week. So tune in at 17 uh, on Monday via Studentradio 98.9. And now we would like to end on the more artistic uh, notes. And Elizabeth is going to read a poem in Armenian to us. Perhaps you can give us a very, very little uh, hint of what it what you're talking about in English. And then you can just start reading your poem. Yes. So to make it uh, pretty short, I'm just going to read the first paragraph of this poem. Uh, so it's a poem by Vazgen Ohanjanyan, which is called Lerneri Legende, which means the legend of the mountains. Uh, I'm now uh, going to read the first paragraph and then I'm going to try to trans translate it in English. Ais lernere legendneren patmumins, arabachtsu kamkimasin annekun, hin legendner vorjekelen dareritz, so this first paragraph basically means these mountains tell me legends about the unwavering will of the Ghalabahtsi people. Uh, ancient legends from centuries past have reached us and become songs in our souls. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Don't miss out on the entire version with a uh, traduced uh, version as well. Thank you so much for listening to us. Thank you.